The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> Welcome back to The Selfie Show. We're still figuring it out. Welcome back to another episode oh, of The we- Selfie Show. It's good, though. This is super good yeah we're we're judging yes we're making so, it happen thank you for sticking it out with us Hello. we appreciate all of you guys who stay with us on this selfie self-improvement journey absolutely we love this for us we have such an amazing very timely guest for uh me in this household joelle Melitis. we are getting into bipolar disorder ptsd um, anxiety, all of these things that I have been dealing with on the back end here over in this household. Very timely, very educational. Yes, very much. So we're really, really excited about this episode today, you guys. It's very personal. Um, we do talk a little bit about personal side of this too. So this is gonna be a special one. Um, okay, before we get into that, let's talk unpopular opinion. So this is a Gen Z opinion, which is probably why it's a little unpopular, especially with our generation. Because Tori does this a lot. I do. But I actually agree <laughs> with Gen Z on this. So that's why it'll be part of my unpopular opinion too. Is that ending messages with either just like a thumbs up is very passive aggressive. Or even if you just straight up give a thumbs up emoji to, <laughs> as a response to someone's whole paragraph they just typed to you. That's a passive aggressive. Not here for it. And Tori does this all the it's time. Absolutely. Well, it's, okay. It is intent. I think when I do that, it is. You're right. It is intentionally passive aggressive, right? Yeah, like subconsciously. Like Gen Z advises millennials to avoid thumbs up emoji while at work. Here is why: a recent global study of 2,000 people aged 16 to 29 found that thumbs up emoji and heart emojis are for older people. And I don't disagree with this. Well, I feel like it was also validated by millennials and Gen X because they're very ambiguous. <laughs> okay. I mean, that does make sense. Here's the list of that we should consider of emojis that we should not be using. Okay, guys. Thumbs up, the red heart emoji, Blair crying face, the check mark, the poop emoji. What? It's just like, I'm like, okay. Mm. The monkey covering the eyes, which I use all the time. The clapping hands, the kiss symbol with lipstick and the frown face. Apparently these are all no go. Tori is very choogy with her emoji choices. Like mm-hmm. you're, it used to be Jeff's. So you're like it's... a sparkly cup kind of girly that would like have the, you know, like nurse written in cursive with sparkly <laughs> lettering. Like that's yeah. Tori vibes. All but the way. like custom, you that's, know, makes it even choogier for sure. <laughs> Tori's like an Etsy choogy queen. <laughs> we love that for us. Oh my gosh. Um, something else that they brought up in here. And I thought was hilarious is the Gen Z approved sign offs for emails. This is, hilarious well these have been my favorite tiktoks they're people that show like snapshots or screenshots of their gen z co-workers email signatures because we're in a we're always what kind regards yeah sincerely sincerely yours best yeah best is like the classic millennial one it's not like too sweet it's just short and sweet best yeah but like 
No, I want to work in an office where it's Gen Z people because their list is so funny to me. This list is hilarious. Okay, ready? <laughs> Peace out, Brussels sprout. Bless up. Mean regards. Over and out. Bye, bestie. Everyone's favorite. Stay slaying. Lukewarm regards. Please hesitate to reach out. I'll see myself out. And thank you, but not sure what for. <laughs> That's so it. true, though, because I end so many emails with thank you. And I'm like, I don't know what, what I'm thanking for? you for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish we could just be this, like, real. Because it's like, that's how we talk. And then we're totally fake in email. And it's considered, like, professional email etiquette. But yeah. if I could end all my emails with, like, lukewarm regards, I would be so <laughs> happy Stay with slang. my life. I think that would be mine. Especially Stay bless slang. up. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, okay. Apparently we're updating all of our emoji and email etiquette over here on the selfie show. We're going for it. I just feel like Gen Z has so much more fun than us. They do have fun. That's the thing. Like, it's like, why can't it be fun? Why we're still so stiff, boring corporate. Mm-hmm. We're getting out of that. Yeah. We're over that. All right, you guys, let's get into it with the guest of this week. Today we have Joelle Miletus. She is an MA LMFT licensed clinical psychotherapist. She's also a TED Ed speaker, author, CEO, trauma expert, and podcast host for Switch. She works with clients struggling with different hardships such as miscarriages, infertility, eating disorders, self-harm, various forms of PTSD. And her goal is to help people overcome struggles in their life that are keeping them from living a life of fulfillment, peace, and contentment. She also helps military personnel and first responders with PTSD stress, anxiety, and help them transition back to civilian life. I, for me, I just want to say this personally to you guys, this is very timely. Um, on the back end, there's been a lot going on with my family and um, my brothers struggle with bipolar. So this is very personal. Um, Joelle is a published author, keynote speaker, and podcast live host. She's been featured on ABC's 60 Minutes. Um, authored a TED's Top 100 Mental Health video. Uh, she's also an executive coach for Apple, Google, Netflix, and Zoom. Today, we're getting into bipolar disorder, PTSD, and navigating trauma healing. Joelle is really bringing all of these tangible tips to help us really live a, quote, balanced life. Uh, and we're getting into that, which I think is really good because we all need those tips. Navigating life transitions, anxiety, and the psychology of post-traumatic stress disorder. So without further ado, you guys, let's welcome Joelle to the show. Okay, Miss Joelle, we have to ask our iconic question. What is your unpopular opinion? Oh my God. The, the whole list of just the top 10. Um... <laughs> let's hear them. Your, your favorite. Yeah, what's your, your, your most yeah, Your top favorite. Oh, good vibes only. Good vibes only. Yes, this toxic positivity. So I think that's that's oh. that's the number one thing that's been you know, piece. I think the last few days. Good vibes only. I love that coming from a psychotherapist because people expect you to give all the rainbow butterfly unicorn glitter thing. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, if it if it were that easy, we'd all be out of a job. I mean, really. Right. Yeah. You know. Right. Like, oh, just just breathe. I'm like, you know what? If it were that easy, we'd all be doing it. Mm -hmm. Just breathe reminds me of like when I'm super pissed off and my ex would be like, calm down. I'd be like, Ooh, what do you mean? Oh. Calm, down? Like, calm down is like an instant trigger for me to not calm down. <laughs> Those are fighting words. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Especially to Sam. <laughs> no, I will not calm down. 
Where I'm like, this is me calm. Yeah, you this, don't is, this is me calm. calm. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just relax. Oh, just God. Relax. Oh, God. Well, speaking of which, it's funny because I don't know what it is about this show, but I feel like Sam and I were just talking about this about somehow um, our guests just really line up and I feel like the stars really align for for a lot of these topics and this particular topic and you as a guest specifically is one of the most timely um, guests we've ever had and more specifically because I know I've talked a lot about my family situation and my brother's struggle with bipolar and I just wanted to pop in really quick because I feel like I do think it, this is something that is so important to talk about and um, a topic that's very heavy on my heart right now um, and so I really kind of want to jump in and just, you know, kind of start from square one. Like, where did all of this start for you? Um, let's get a little bit about your background. Um, I'm really excited about this episode today. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for having me on, ladies. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it. I wish I had this really great, neat, cute story. People ask me, oh, you did you always want to be a therapist? And it was like, no, I had no clue. I had no idea what the hell I was getting into. Um, you know, and a lot of it was my own trauma and um, I had a career ending injury. There, there were so many things that happened in an 18 month period. Um, and I really kind of hit bottom and, and started with therapy and at some point went, well, maybe I should take a psych class. That might be, but it might be helpful. I was teaching full time, running a university department, um, and you know, I just kept kind of throwing darts at dartboards of like, okay, now I'm newly divorced. I've got a one year old and a three year old, and I'm living in Silicon Valley. And how the fuck am I going to make that work? Excuse my language. I and so, you know, <laughs> right? self approved, very self approved. Yeah, good. So I mean, it, so it started with just I don't know. I don't know what to do and I, and I don't know what to do next. Um, and it was through that that started this interest in, okay, well, let me, let me take a look at therapy. Maybe that's an option. Um, but I didn't know, I had no idea. And then, you know, I studied and my, my clinical dissertation was broad spectrum eating disorders, trauma and addictions, go figure. I'm a ballerina by training so we can all draw the dots with trauma and eating disorders. You know, and I'd have one supervisor after another say, you don't want to do that. You can't do that. That's, you're going to be, you know, horrible at that job. And, um, and I believed it for a long time. And so it was really a struggle with how do I deal with my own mental wellness, my own trauma, my own journey, and then help people on theirs. And um, I think I'm still trying to figure it out, yeah. you know? Yeah. I actually, it's really funny that you bring that up because so this past week, I actually did, I haven't talked about it <clears throat> on Instagram or any, any platform, but so I did a casting for a TV show and the casting director, when we were going through it, she was asking these questions that were very, very, um, like they were going straight for the jugular. Like, what's your worst trait about you? What is, you know, she was kind of like trying to really pull things out, right? And one of the questions was, what's something that you, what's the hardest thing you're going through right now? And I immediately went to, you know, struggling with um, a family member who has mental health issues with my brother specifically being bipolar. He's manic at the moment. And 
he's been manic for the past two months and it's been a, just an absolute roller coaster. And it's funny because as, as I was telling the story, <clears throat> I told the story and it was probably about a minute and she looked at me and she said, you just gave me the pageant answer. Like you just gave me the very surface. She's like, I want you to go a level deeper. And I sat there and I was like, okay. And so I did. And at the end of that, by the end of that two minutes of me telling everything, I literally could not stop bawling. I was just in this, like, I was like in the fetal position after doing that. And I looked at her and I said, I think the reason I give pageant answers is because I can't go there. Like I'm still either currently in it or going through it. And so it's really raw and tender. And it's something that I'm like, I can't, like right now, even right now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I'm about to fall apart. And it's like, how do we, as you know, people who are going through it, whatever it may be, how do you start the process of like recovery? Or how do you start kind of like looking inward and being like, am I okay? I'm not okay. Yeah, it, it's such a, a good question and it's such a hard answer. And I don't mean to be trite, you know, it really is an individualized. Um, I think it's it's so important for people to figure out what their core values are, right? So if somebody is spiritually minded, they're probably going to lean that way and they'll find comfort and healing starting that journey, right? If If somebody else is more, you know, physically minded or they get, you know, relief from exercise and being in nature, they're going to start their process there. So, you know, it's, it's really difficult. I think for me, a lot of it was going to therapy. That was the biggest thing. And then being able to come to terms with this idea of forgiveness, because that's not something I align with. Um, me personally, it's, it's not where I am in the world. Uh, and so really learning about what that meant for me versus what that actually means for everybody else. And, and for me, it, it came down to this idea of radical acceptance, which is a dialectical behavioral or DBT idea of it is what it is because it is, right? So it didn't cause it, can't control it, can't contain it. I can't even define it, right? It is because it is. And I can stay stuck in that or I can say, all right, I'm going to put that over off to the side and look at it from a different lens. And for me, that became this mantra of, I am the sum of my experiences, good, bad, and indifferent, right? There's good things that happen. There are bad things that happen. Some I caused, some I didn't cause, right? And there are things that um, are just don't matter. And so can I look at myself from this holistic perspective instead of being a victim, a survivor, a whatever? Right. And so for me, that's where the process started was it's too painful to sit in it and it's not helpful to keep going backwards. So how do I stay present? And it's still a part of who I am and I can't get rid of it. I can't forgive it. Um, so what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. And, and that was hard. It, it, it sounds like there's such easy concepts. Right. And it's not easy. Yeah. I really am curious about this too, because so we just recently had on a guest and she spoke to um, her eating disorder and how it's helped her actually as a practitioner. So, and I think I'm a really big advocate for, you know, if you've been through it, you quite possibly can be even better as a, as a practitioner, right? Because you lived it, you went through it, 
Can you take us through your experiences, um, bipolar disorder and like how you got into this work and a little bit about the history of that? Yeah, bipolar is something that that is interesting to me. Um, I had no understanding of it again, really before I went to psych school. Um, I had different people in my life that looking back, maybe they were bipolar, maybe they weren't bipolar. Um, but this idea of having, you know, somebody in your life who you never know what you're you're walking into. So one day, you know, um, I, I would deal with this, you know, huge um, explosion of emotion, right? Um, either aggressive, angry, or uber happy. And then the next minute it was, you know, like you said, kind of fetal position, which reminds me of being in psych school. I think I spent the entire time in the fetal position, right? But, but being kind of so depressed that they weren't able to function. And I just, I didn't know what to expect every day. Um, and that's hard. It's hard to be in relationship with people who are like that. And so I didn't have words for it. I didn't know that that was bipolar. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of it too was I was also suffering and I didn't know why I was suffering. And so I was trying to figure out, did that fit for me? And that wasn't the right diagnosis for me. And, and yet I felt like I either overly felt, you know, I felt everything or I felt nothing. And it felt so dramatic and extreme and I couldn't figure out why. And so as I, you know, the more I started to uncover my own stuff and, and understand trauma and eating disorders and perfectionism and, and my own childhood stuff, the more I started understanding what this idea of what we, we used to call manic depressive, right? And, and what that looked like and now bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the intersect between bipolar and trauma and, and understanding the difference between the two. So that's really what I was interested in is, okay, what's trauma related and what's biochemistry? Yeah, that's so interesting because I think that's something that's become very like, I don't know, to the forefront of my brain. How old were you when you were diagnosed? Do you mind me asking? Or like when you started realizing? No. Late. I mean, like I had, you know, I was already um, a mom and I had um, horrible postpartum depression. I had a loss in between the two. Um, I had postpartum anxiety and so all of a sudden I had all of these diagnoses and I had no idea where they were coming from. Looking back, I think it's probably something I had since I was a kid. Um, you know, I had a lot of anxiety um, and, and a lot of early childhood stuff that, that kept creeping up. And so I wasn't really diagnosed with PTSD until after I was kind of through all the postpartum stuff. And then as that was starting to dissipate and some of the symptoms were still there, it was like, what is this? Um, and, you know, again, in retrospect at, you know, I, I had several different traumas in my, you know, late teens and early twenties. And so you start, you know, again, connecting those dots and it's like, well, duh, of, of course this is what it is. Um, I think I was in denial. Right. And it was, it, it, I, I feel like I was constantly just saying, Oh, well, that happened because I did this thing or that, you know, um, it's my fault because I did this thing and not really understanding, um, you know, intergenerational trauma, you know, family trauma, childhood trauma, trauma from being an athlete, 
all, all of that kind of stuff. And, and it wasn't just one thing. It was a whole bunch of things. And it was hard to unpack because it really it put me in this position of, I don't know who I am. If I'm not all of these things, then what does that mean? What does it say about me? Can you kind of, like you touched on biochemistry versus trauma. And I yeah. think that's something a lot of us don't know the differences or even just trauma in general and PTSD. If you can kind of give us like the the beginner's version. Like 101. 101. Yeah. <laughs> the 101. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Research is starting to look at other components of what is actually biochemistry and, and how the brain works and with MRIs and imaging and all of this stuff that is happening more now. We're getting some different ideas. But, um, you know, the way that I look at it is we have things that are experience-based, right? Or they are relational, they're situational, so for example, car accident, you know, car accident happens. It's um, a horrific event. Some people are able to shake it off. Other people aren't. And for those that aren't, sometimes they develop a post-traumatic stress response, right? Or PTS doesn't mean they have this de-disordered component um, that, that de-disordered, if we think about it as, okay, that affects our daily life and living. And so traditionally, that explained what trauma was or what we would say big T trauma was. It was this catastrophic, horrific event. Little T trauma was something that was more witnessed. You know, I saw the car accident. I wasn't in it. Since then, we, you know, the world of psychology has started to redefine that. And we say, you know, trauma is relational. And so we know that children of narcissistic parents um, abuse typically have smaller traumas. There's this emotional abuse, verbal abuse, financial abuse, and, and all of these things can cause um, pretty serious long-lasting trauma. And that can develop into PTS or PTSD. Again, that D diagnostic component of when it affects your daily life and living. Um, that's different from biochemistry. And so biochemistry is when the brain isn't, isn't functioning the way that one would like it to. And again, such an individualized you know, answer. But in general, if somebody's reporting that they feel depressed and it's not a situational thing, for example, they weren't in a car accident, right? Or they didn't lose a pet or a loved one. They, they just are reporting this ongoing signs of malaise or the blues and it gets worse and worse. Maybe they feel suicidal um, and it lasts for more than two weeks. We start to go, okay, well, if there isn't a situation that occurred, maybe there's something going on with the chemistry and that's when people start talking about medication because medication it does two things it helps with chemistry and the brain level out with dopamine um, and and all sorts of hormones there's about 30 different stress hormones and all these different kinds of neurotransmitters so medication addresses that and then it addresses symptoms so sometimes we're medicating for chemistry and sometimes we're medicating for symptoms so somebody can have you know a car be in a car accident and develop depression and we would give them medication ideally over time those symptoms start to dissipate and go away they no longer need to take medication they're also hopefully doing therapy and that whole thing right and and it's sort of a one and done where somebody who has um depression that is more chemically based right they're going to need to be on medication for a longer period of time if not lifelong because there's it's a brain chemistry problem just like 
diabetes or thyroid disease, something like that. I mean, I hope that explains. Yeah, it. no, this is really good. I, I actually would love to go into this too, because since you are the specialist in this area, maybe to go back to square one with um, bipolar disorder. So when you're talking bipolar, bipolar mm-hmm. one versus, you know, and manic, can you just take us through like the bipolar 101, if you will, and then also how it can look because what's interesting about this is I have brought this up you know there are many people who have listened back to um, the episode I recorded with my brother who came on a couple years ago and we spoke about our our experiences as a family together and what it looked like and we gave like a very very you know good clear picture of what it looked like and I've had so many people approach me and be like I think that one of my family members may be struggling with something like this So for, let's just get maybe like the diagnostic, like, you know, from the 101 and then maybe some instances of like things that you've seen from patients reflecting that they've had bipolar disorder. Yeah. So bipolar is divided into categories, bipolar one, and then you also said bipolar two. Um, Bipolar one is what we traditionally think of as when we see movies and they show somebody who is they're really um, aggressive, they're very animated. Um, This idea of mania, they haven't slept, they have extreme spending. Um, Some people fall into drug and alcohol issues um, or homelessness. So we see these extreme behaviors on the manic side, um, not just happy. Some people, you know, get overly elated um, and there's more risk-taking behavior. And then pretty severe depression. And so depressive episodes can be um, suicide attempts, but definitely that suicidal ideation. And that that sometimes looks like, um, I just wish I weren't here. And that, that feeling doesn't lift. It doesn't necessarily have to be a suicide attempt, but it's that the mood gets really, really low. And then there's these huge extreme swings. Um, so it's not a gradual ramping up or down, right? It's It's... And, and it can be, you know, like the person in, in my life who's rapid cycling. I never knew what, what every day was going oh, to bring. Right now we're like, I don't know what version yeah. of Vincent we're going to get. Are we going to get the aggressive version or are we going to get him, you know, crying because he's a dad now? You know, it's like, it's really crazy how right. fast it has, happens. Yeah, How fast it goes. Yeah. yeah. And so that idea of rapid cycling, there are other times where bipolar one is cyclical. And so people, um, a lot of my clients who have cyclical bipolar also have seasonal affect disorder or SAD. And so as it gets colder and darker, their bipolar starts to usually ramp up where they'll go manic and then they'll drop into a depression. So there's what we call co-occurring diagnoses. Um, So there's something that's cyclical like that. There's also things that somebody will say, you know, Um, I don't have manic or I don't have depressive episodes often, but when I do, they get really bad. And it could be a few years in between episodes. Some of that has to do with medication management and others doesn't. It just, you know, again, it's people's brain chemistry. Um, Bipolar 2 is, I always use the analogy of Eeyore. You think of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. It's kind of this wah, 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 you know, and so it's like, how are you? Fine. You know, what's new? And and it lasts a really long time. So the depression is always there. And then it's something where it's called hypomania, where 
somebody who is reporting that they have this malaise or this ongoing depression, not depressed to the point where they're suicidal, it can get low like that, but it's usually just this blah. Um, hypomania will look like they're in a great mood, everything is good, um, they're out, they're engaging with people and, and um, they don't need a lot of sleep. And so it's not these huge full-blown manic episodes, but there's definitely this, you know, touching into mania and that can last for a few weeks and then back to that depression. So bipolar two is more on the depressed side. Um, interesting to me is bipolar is really hard to diagnose. Most people get diagnosed if they're in their manic phase, yep. depending on what their behaviors look like. They'll get, they can be diagnosed with everything from addiction to psychosis to schizophrenia. Yep. Um, and when they're in their depression, you know, get diagnosed with major depressive disorder. So most people with bipolar in the beginning years are misdiagnosed and it makes it really hard for families to deal with. Right. And because I, you never yes. know what you're working with. You 100%. And, you know, it's funny, like thinking back to our personal experience, you know, Vincent was 100% in a substance abuse uh, situation where, you know, it was drugs, it was alcohol, um, it was getting arrested, it was... Um, outward aggression it was um, you know like not sleeping for extended periods of time and then you just it, it's weird looking back at it because when you're looking at it surface face even as a family member who by the way works in healthcare, I didn't understand what was going on right I, it, to you it just it's like oh he's in college and you know we were thinking like this is normal and you know, this is just who he is. It's Vincent. He's crazy. He's out there. He's fun. He's like life of the party. But then it started becoming, there's like this extra layer of, okay, well, now you're going to jail. Now you're, you know, it's just this crazy thing. And we had no idea. And so, you know, it's weird when it's literally sitting in front of your face and you don't get it. Like, it's like, what is happening right now? We don't understand, you know? Yeah. And, and it also, I mean, it also, like I said, it's hard to diagnose. So, you know, most clinicians don't necessarily get it either, right? Like that's that's the thing is I think as family members, we have this extra expectation that we're, you know, we know them, we love them, we're so close to them, we're supposed to get it. And, and it's like, says who? So, supposed to how? Um, you know, if you're not trained to look for it, even, you know, in the field of, you know, medicine, right? Then we don't know what we're looking at. And so it's hard and and being with somebody like that who's they're at that they're in their you know teens and 20s right and so you're like eh, how much of this is just normal the normal college experience and and that tipping point and it happens so quickly it right does. and it's usually at so. that age range sorry i'm hogging right now mm -hmm. Go ahead. can you <laughs> kind of maybe weigh in on how like with misdiagnosis i've even been misdiagnosed before with depression but um mm -hmm. there's like the co-occurring disorders I think that happen too so unless you're really going to someone who's a trained professional I, there's a lot of therapists there's a lot of doctors but there's truly like you have to be so specialized sometimes to really diagnose something like bipolar or the fact that co-occurring disorders mask that or the self-medication because I know the substance abuse and all these other things a lot of times are just the way of like self-medicating. I mean, my insane caffeine addiction mm -hmm. 
was my <laughs> self-medicating my ADHD. And for my brother, <laughs> it was, you know, drinking and to be, you know, he could drink excessively and smoke beyond everybody and still not sleep. Like he physically couldn't sleep because he just, his brain couldn't shut off. So yeah, that's a good, good question. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Yeah, yeah, you know, okay, so let me let, let me step back for a second and, and say this. Um, there's a lot of amazing therapists and doctors and psychologists and people like mm -hmm. me who are quote experts and quote I don't know <laughs> um there's a lot of really shitty ones too a lot mm -hmm. of them and and so finding somebody that that you know you can connect with for all of the listeners who are like in this mental health hell of trying to find a provider that one you know you can afford and two um you like because it is you know I've heard it's like dating um you know finding somebody that you can trust and starting there, you know, and that usually helps, right? If you hear something you don't like, get a second opinion, yeah. right? And so like, that's my soapbox, right? Is, is there's so many shitty therapists out there. There's some really good ones too. And so finding the one that's going to work um, for you. Right. Having said that, I think it, it's really difficult. And so for me and, and the way that I, I work with my team and people that I supervise and, and teach, um, it's important for my group and for me, I guess for my ideology is to have people that are trauma informed. And even though people don't specialize in trauma, they need to know what they're looking at. So when somebody comes in and they're starting to unpack, right, what's going on for them, that the clinician very quickly can say, I don't know if this is in my wheelhouse. Let me find you somebody great, which I will tell you I do probably, I don't know, 30% of the time when people come to me. Um, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know if this is in my wheelhouse. Let's find you somebody great who is an expert in this, right? Versus, um, no, I can do it all concept. And so I think a lot of it is finding someone that, that you can be honest with and that you can trust and then that that diagnosis thing is is it important and you know i'll tell you as, as somebody who teaches diagnosis um i don't know how important it is you know I, I think when we're talking about bipolar because medication is fundamentally important in managing extreme bipolar symptoms and bipolar one um and, and I am not a psychiatrist, right? So I need, I need to send people to a psychiatrist and say, okay, let's make sure that we're getting the right diagnosis. Let's make sure that we've considered all of these other co-occurring things, right? Let's, let's get the person that is the MD weighing in on this, um, that there isn't anything organically going on that I am missing from the psychology side of it. And so I think not, you know, not being shy about asking for kind of this cohesive medical care. So it's not just, 
okay, the therapist is telling me one thing and now I'm being misdiagnosed or the psychiatrist is telling me one thing and that doesn't resonate, right? That there's a team of people. Um, that's really easy to say with, um, you know, having social, you know, certain social, socioeconomic, right? Um, liberties, not everybody has that. And so it makes it difficult. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's the, the big thing. And so many things are co-occurring, right? I mean, I think I really do believe that most teenagers, especially in the US in the last 20 years have had a moment where they've said, I just wish I didn't have to wake up today. You know, well, that's actually suicidal ideation, but we stigmatize this so much, right? Um, oh, he's bipolar. Oh, she's suicidal. Oh, this is narcissistic. We we use diagnostic terms Very to describe loosely. people yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And it that. and and it on the one hand it destigmatizes mental health, and people that are twenty five and younger are so much more willing to go to therapy than people that are older than twenty five. Cool. And at the same time, we get misdiagnoses all the time, right? So I have teens come into the clinic and. You know, my clinicians will report to me, they're like, oh, well, they're saying they're so de so depressed. Okay, well, we need to do an assessment. And so to kind of get back to your question, Sam, I think a lot of it is doing the assessments and they're self-reporting mm -hmm. and not just doing it once, but doing it multiple times. Hey, I'm going to ask you this series of questions. I'm going to ask you the same series of questions. I'm going to ask them to you again. I know, don't throw something at me. I'm going to keep asking them because I'm trying to get a baseline so I don't misdiagnose, Right. Do you think right now it's harder with like the power of internet and social media, everyone kind of clings to these buzzwords. So they almost come in yeah. self-diagnosing, like you kind of said, I'm so depressed or, oh, my ex is a narcissist or I had this trauma, like they're using all these buzzwords that we kind of, and it's like great that we have information because I, that's why we do this podcast. It's so helpful to learn from others and hear someone's story and go, wow, I relate to that. And now that's something I can take back and discover. But do you think it also kind of makes it harder on your end when people are kind of coming with, I mean, the internet, it's not a regulated source of information. So. Right. 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 And it's like, you know, like everything, it's got its pluses and minuses. You know, I um, found it fascinating in the last year TikTok is the mm -hmm. number one driving source for mental health information. Mm -hmm. I'm actually that is no, I believe it. A hundred percent. The amount yeah. of ADHD yep. information yep. you hear about narcissism more on there than I've ever heard in my entire life. Gaslighting is like yeah, like it's all so the interesting things. you say that. Yeah. It's so funny. So on um, so part of me goes, that's really cool. That people like I never like I can I can tell you the first time I was asked to talk about. Um, my eating disorders, trauma, and therapy um, was as an athlete, and I was already a therapist. And um, it was a panel for Stanford, and and they and I remember saying, "Do you want me to talk as a therapist?" And they're like, "No, no, as a ballerina." And I went, "Oh God, my parents have never heard my story." Like it was one of those moments of like, like I don't like my heart stopped. Like I can't talk about my stuff. Like oh my God, that that totally. would be so vulnerable and reveal, you know, like, and now everybody gets on and they tell their entire story. And so kind of cool. The terrifying thing to me is that anybody can say anything. And there is so much 
misinformation, false information, misguided information. And so, yeah, there are so many times where we're telling and telling clients, like, please don't read Reddit. Um, yeah. Like, like, please, or they'll come in and they'll say, well, WebMD said, um, you know, and I laugh because it's, it's not a person. It's, this is the trend now, mm -hmm. right? Um, kids will, you know, teen teenagers and, and kids will come in and they'll say, hey, watch this thing with me. Is that true? This describes me perfectly. Mm -hmm. And, and so again, cool that we're talking about it, terrifying that this is the source of information that isn't researched. It right. is not empirically based information. And it's, yeah. Yeah. So when someone sees a TikTok and they're like, that describes me perfectly, what do you actually recommend to them in terms of going to good sources of information to maybe learn more? Yeah. So anything.org, you know, typically is more, you know, nonprofits have, have um, better sources of information, anything that's researched. And so, you know, Google has an academic or it has a research feature on it that people can search. So if you're like, hey, I saw this, you know, TikTok on bipolar, or, you know, I was listening to, you know, Tori and Sam talk about this and I'm bipolar too. Um, they can go look at the information. It's knowing what to look at. So you can look at the DSM-5 right? That, that is the, the guide that we all use to diagnose. It's up there. It's public information. You can look at it and say, okay, do I actually meet criteria? And if your response is, yeah, that kind of sounds like me, best to, you know, talk to your, you know, talk to a therapist, your doctor. Usually the best place to start is if people have medical care, email your doctor, Hey, I was looking at this thing. I think this is me. Can I have a referral, please? If you don't have medical care, there's urgent care clinics. There's, you know, women's clinics. There's um, lower income clinics. By the way, all of the major psych schools throughout the country, most of them have community counseling centers where PhD candidates or postdocs, right, go and do their internships. And you can get sliding scale therapy. Um, there's online resources. There's mm -hmm. so much yeah. out there um, that that people can can ask. Writing into the show, hey, do you have a resource for me? Right. Um, yeah, I have a question for you. I, I'm asking a lot of, of personal yeah. questions today since I have you here. So the, <laughs> the the hardest part that I have felt or experienced, I think on, um, not so much the patient side, the family side, right. Is when yeah. someone's going through their hardest, deepest, whatever part of their mental health it is. So manic episode, for example, or depression speaking as the family member, I think it's so hard to be in the gray, right? So it's not like, yeah. you know, it's, we can't admit them to the hospital because they won't go or the next step is like you're in between hospitalization or potentially getting arrested if they're asked, uh, acting out and becoming very aggressive and there's like nothing you can do. Your hands are tied. Um, what do you have in terms of like some suggestions or help for family members or friends of someone that may be going through something? Yeah, I, I think finding support and whether that's through friends, other family members, support groups, um, it is when somebody is 18 
they have their own rights and without having all of the documents, as you know, signed, right, these, these release of confidential information that people, when they are manic or depressed, are not going to sign because they are not in their right mind, right? And so um, it, it is very difficult to navigate the system. Um, my advice always is that if somebody is a danger to themselves or others, it feels like we're doing such a disservice or or it's a huge betrayal to have to call authorities or, or move to a psychiatric hold or 5150 hold. Um, sometimes that's the best thing for the person. Um, they can get instant emergency care. It could mean the difference between going to jail or not or being on the street or not. And so having other people who have either gone through that experience or in the throes of going through that experience to to have support and to talk to is helpful because unfortunately there is not a lot family members can do yeah. and you're you're stuck you're stuck watching the train wreck happen and a lot of times you've seen it before yep. so you know the beginning the middle and the end you know the whole story yep. and there's nothing you can do yeah. and it and it's 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 maddening it's painful it's all it's all the feels all the time right yeah. and so how do you, you know it's it's really difficult to compartmentalize that and then it's like oh okay i'm just supposed to show up and go to work today um yeah and then and you have so, the battle of like if you physically even can you know it's so interesting cuz right. we're kind of in that gray area right now and you know for example his fiance megan so she you know she's a teacher she still has to work. She still has to go in. But then if he needs potentially to go see someone during the day for an appointment, like he, she has to be able to take him because he can't drive. He should not be driving, you know, and so it's all right. of these compounding factors. And then, you know, the whole reason we're in this particular situation is because he went off medications to help her at night to be a dad. So he's like, I didn't want to be asleep. I wanted to wake up and help you feed the baby and be helpful. It's like all these factors that we just don't realize until you're in it and see it. And that's why I like sharing this because I can't even imagine for women who are bipolar, right? So you want to become pregnant and, you know, with the hormone swings and, um, you know, the one of the biggest things in terms of bipolar that I've learned is sleep and a regular schedule is actually very important. And I can't imagine for someone who becomes pregnant and then, you know, you start having those mood swings and then a mania, you know, you have like go through a, like, I can't even imagine for women. It's probably even a step above that, you know? Yeah. You know, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not a psychiatrist or an MD. There, there are, psychiatrists and that specialize in working with women and working with women who need to stay on their psychotropic medications while they're becoming pregnant or while they are pregnant. There are medications that are relatively safe for women to take and, and manage symptoms. Um, I've worked with plenty of clients where that's been the case. I've also worked with clients who've chosen to go off of medication to become pregnant during their pregnancy. And a part of it is having the care that they need and then and and eyes on right it's like you know maybe we go from seeing each other once a week or once every other week to twice a week right and and again that people have to have resources to do that that's a whole nother conversation right and um but it, it does take sometimes that extra care and it's i i think you know we had talked about this tori before that 
it's really common with bipolar um, for people to say, I feel good, I'm doing good, I'm stable, I haven't had a manic or depressive episode in a really long time, I can just, you know, decrease this one medication, or I can go off of my medications, because I feel good, and I'm doing really well. Um, and that's a, that's a common thing with, with actually most mentally, uh, I, I guess, mental health diagnoses, but, but definitely with bipolar. So we see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, as an extension to that, something that I didn't know or realize is how long the medication um, balance or cocktail or trying took. It truly took, when, we, when I really look back on it for Vincent's first round, when we were really kind of learning about this, it truly took probably about a year to really get his medications dialed in, right? And to be honest, he's been good for the past six years, which is crazy. But what's interesting is I think even from us as the hospital bedside, right? So it's interesting because a lot of us say, okay, we're giving this medication and in your head, you feel like things should be changing or improving. And I'm like, the amount of times that mental or the amount of time that mental health management takes is much longer than I think we give it credit for. And the brain, you know, once the brain is injured or something's going on, you know, it takes time to really undo or to help that, you know, whatever it is, a depressive state, a manic state. And it's really hard to be in the gray, I will say, as a family member, like, I, it's really hard because there's only so much you can do. Yeah. And it, the ongoing, um, okay, take this. Okay, that's not working. Okay, now take this. Okay, now take this. Okay, now we'll try that. We are in a culture, you know, this hustle culture that we have that we want outcomes. You know, the person who we've decided is sick, right? We want them to get better and um, take the medication. You'll feel better. You'll do better. Go to therapy. You'll get better. And yeah, that, that's actually not true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's not that, it, again, it's not that easy. It doesn't work that way. And so it's hard for the patient. It's hard for the family, right? Because the expectation is just do this thing. You know, why aren't you doing this thing? Um, you know, and, and we don't, you know, we don't see results quickly and it's painful to watch. I don't think it comes from a place of being malicious. I think it's, it's so painful to watch somebody suffer, right? Yeah. And not be able to do anything about it. Are there any good, I would say, maybe resources or um, like websites that come to mind specifically that you think people can turn to if they're looking for help or they're looking for some answers? Um, is there anything that comes to mind that we can turn to? To find a therapist, um, the one that that I like the most is Psychology Today. Um, You can put in a search engine for your, if you're looking for, you know, a gender specific therapist, if you want a specific style of therapy, religion, where you live, your insurance. So it's, it's a pretty sophisticated search engine. It has people's pictures. It talks, you know, they, they have their bio. Um, most of them have an, a website that's linked to that. So um, that's a good place to start. Um, if people have insurance, going to their insurance portal and looking to see who's on the list. Um, 
that can be a good place to start. It's really difficult if people have HMOs like Kaiser and other types of HMOs. Um, there, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of mental health concerns and issues with backlog. Um, so, I think some sometimes it's overwhelming to try and find someone. Um, as far as like specific diagnoses, I think you know the APA, American Psychological Association, um, is a really good one, and they also have like I'm listed there. Um, several different therapists who um, or psychologists are are listed in APA. So going to your state, like California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, have a listing. So you know, looking at those type of listings will help. Um, sometimes doing, you know, free therapy clinic and seeing what comes up. Um, and then looking for, again, looking for organizations that are doing research or universities, Mayo Clinic, Harvard, Oxford, Yale, Stanford, they all have different um, websites. They all have really good information it it's reliable information and so if you are interested in looking up bipolar you can you know bipolar one research and see who's doing it um and that's more reliable than looking at webmd you know um or tiktok what do you see is like the secret to living a meaningful and balanced life is there like something that we can all do like what is What's the, what can we all be doing to be leading a balanced life, if there is such thing? Well, let me let me grab my magic wand <laughs> from the back of my bookshelf. Um, yeah. I don't know if I knew. Like I said, you know, if it were that easy, we'd we'd all be doing it. I um, yeah. really, really, really. I, I think I think for me, it's being honest with myself. And that is so hard. Um, and being able to, you know, look at myself in the mirror every day and go, okay, did I do my best? Not perfect, right? And sometimes, yes, I did my best and I was an absolute train wreck today or I made, you know, this huge mistake or hurt somebody's feelings or I did whatever. Tomorrow's another day right? I get another opportunity to try it again tomorrow. And maybe that means I've got to make a phone call and apologize. Um, maybe it's, you know, I have to really scale back and um, take some time for myself. Um, I have this love-hate relationship with meditation. In the last two weeks, I've gone back to trying to meditate as I teach this stuff. And man, do I have a hard time doing it. Um, you know, uh, but I need I I I need to find that balance for myself. So I think part of it is is the hardest thing is being honest with ourselves and saying, okay, I'm I'm really struggling and I need help, whether that's help from from myself internally driven or that's health externally driven. And that looks that looks different for everybody. You know, not everybody loves to, you know, get out and go for a run. That's not their jam. So, you know, me saying, oh, just, just go out and jog. It, it's not going to make people feel better. Yeah. Right. What pieces of advice do you have um, for the selfie fam to lead the best life? Like what's your life motto? 
Oh my gosh. I have, you know what, every, every week I come up with something different and I, my, my favorite thing is sticky notes. Everything goes on a sticky note. So um, this week, I'll just say this week, my motto is it is not my job to be popular. It is my job to make hard decisions and be my best self. <laughs> that is my motto for this week. Um, I'm, I'm really working on um, what that look, it, it's okay that not everybody likes me. It's okay. I will be okay. The, the sky does not fall. Um, so that's my motto for right now. Tell us about this sticky note thing. Is that like something you do every week? You change yeah. it up? Like, where do you put them? I don't know. I like that idea or I like that tool. I'm they, like a visual they are, person. They are all, they are all over my desk. Um, it's okay. It started. So yes, I change them every week. I have ones that um, I have, have been on my desk. I stole this from my director. It's, she started with this weight. Why am I talking? W eight it. And I added boss. Why am I talking? Because of stupid shit. Like, yes, sometimes. Yeah. So <laughs> that totally on brand. Yeah. So it's on my computer, but it started with I don't know. You know what? I wish I, I remember cause it's not my idea. I, I took those cheap eyeliner pencils that you can buy at any, you know, drugstore, whatever, um, convenience store and started writing inspirational notes to myself on my bathroom mirror. I started doing that about 15 years ago and I still do it. And then it would be like, once I was done with that, I'm like, okay, I think I think I understand that concept now. We can move on to a different message. I would erase it um, and then write another one up. So that's my favorite trick for, for my clients, which is go out, buy a whole bunch. You could buy mirror crayons and write yourself notes because you look in the bathroom mirror at least twice a day when you get up in the morning and when you go to sleep at night. Yeah. So it started with me work, trying to battle the perfectionism and the trauma and so the first thing I ever wrote was okay I'm perfectly imperfect and I know it's trite but it's what I put up and I'd look at it every day and I'd take some deep breaths and go all right I'm going to try it again yeah. I'm going to try not being perfect today um, and it helped and so it's just something that I I've kept doing and now I have sticky notes like all over the place it's so. <laughs> a good tip to have <laughs> yeah when you were going through, I am just curious about this, going through your process and um, apologizing to people, what sort of things, like, how did you approach it? I am curious. And yeah. Yeah. You know, when I started, um, it was, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. I hurt your, oh, I did this thing. Um, I realized that that was a res trauma response. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And we as women are trained to apologize first. I'm so sorry. Why are we apologizing? Right? And so understanding the difference between that and it's like, oh, I actually said something that hurt Tori's feelings. I need to go to Tori and say, hey, you know what, Tori, I don't know. If, I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like I really was insensitive and I'm really sorry. And it gives you an opportunity to go, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was kind of rude. Or, oh, no, that that's not how I took it. But at least we have a conversation. And now I'm not spinning in it. So I would ruminate in these thoughts over and over for years. Oh, my God, I can't believe I said that thing when I was 10. Who the fuck 
cares? Nobody cares. <laughs> right. And I would run in my head around and around and around. And so that started to break that cycle of being present of, well, all right, maybe I, maybe I hurt Tori's feelings and I need to go tell Tori, I'm sorry. And, and if I did, we can at least talk about it and I can make it right. And if I didn't, cool, which is really different than, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Which we as women do all the time, Yeah, all the time. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh my gosh. Um, the best piece. So, so much, so much in so little time. Um, the best piece of advice I ever received was practice what you preach. Um, I was a master at giving people really great advice and not taking any of it. Um, and, and so that's the best piece of advice. And I think along with that was um, be yourself. And again, you know, these not in a toxic positivity kind of sense, but um, that was hard for me. Everything had to be curated all the time. I'm still working on that one. Yeah, I think we all are to some degree, right? Like authenticity and not having to put on that perfect picture. I think for me, I've been really feeling that one lately. I feel like, you know, being able to open up about what we've been going through. And I'm very thankful for your time today because I think, you know, th these are things that we should talk about and it's happening to so many people, right? It's like we forget about mm -hmm. how many people are affected by mental health um, and not only that, their family members. And so I feel like for me, this is like very top of mind and very, um, we're all going through something, right? And I think the more that less we can get through the curation and the perfection and the image that we think everyone should have as like the perfect American person or family, the better. Like I'm just over that. Yeah. And, and it's okay to not be okay. I feel like with the holidays coming up, it like always spurs yeah. so much too with like family dynamics and people's own time to reflect on like personal loss or things. So I don't know. I feel like this is good timing too, just because with all of that coming up in the next six weeks of Thanksgiving, Christmas, I know it's like, can be a very difficult time for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Triggering. Yeah. And, and triggering. And so seeking support, whatever that looks like, you know, being able to say, yeah, no, I, it's time for me to go home. Um, not coming, whatever. Yeah. Or yeah, any even good, like, yeah, advice to help people yeah. manage maybe difficult family situations coming up on the holidays. Yeah. yeah so I statements. So when I, when I say, um, you know, like, um, I'm really tired and it's time for me to, to go home. I need to get a good night's sleep so I can see you again in a few days for the next part of our celebration, right? Instead of this is too much for me, right? I don't like the drama. Like, so really I statements, um, you know, I, I love for me, it would, you know, is, is always around food, right? You know, it's like, oh, I, I love that you made dessert that that's wonderful. I'd prefer not to have a piece, right? Mm -hmm. it, not, not, you know, I don't eat these things. Cause that just sparks, that just stirs up, stirs a pot and it sparks arguments, right? So I, so really that I statement and practicing it, I would say 
practice it in your head while you're on your you know drive over or your walk over whatever um writing the script you know uh, with the difficult family members of okay i know i'm going to see this person and we do this dance every year right so how do i navigate that conversation and really focusing on me and my feelings the other thing to do is especially if you're in large groups of people is ask people questions because people love to talk about themselves and they will stop focusing on you right so um hey how's work going what have you been up to what's your favorite activity what have you you know what whatever it is right asking people questions starts to shift the focus and then you know po politely excusing yourself my favorite trick is i um go to the bathroom a lot a lot a lot break up I that take awkward extra... conversation yeah <laughs> yes I take extra time when I'm there to take a bunch of really big deep breaths wash my hands sometimes I cuss people out where they can't hear me whatever it is and then I go back out and re-engage um so or I go outside and I need to get something out of my car and I take an extra few minutes right um I built in these these escape, you know, escape mechanisms to give myself that time to reset because otherwise it just stacks, and then um, I'm I'm so anxious that I I can't sit in my own skin, right? So, um, people developing routines, practicing saying no, using I statements, and practice, 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 practice in the mirror, practice with your friends or family, practice out loud while you're in your car um because we think we can do it and then we're in that moment and we we you know have stage fright and all of a sudden people are like encroaching in our space and we don't know what to do um and 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 really holding people accountable of of that's that's hurtful when you know when you say that to me that's hurtful it hurt my feelings and it's time for me to go home now right and it's again if if it were that easy everybody would be doing it no, but it's definitely it's nice tips. to have some extras in your toolbox coming up into this uh, holiday season. Season, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for your time today. Oh my gosh, well, I, I, I genuinely want to make you know say that, like you know, it's very timely for me personally, and I, I think the more that we're able to have these conversations and openness about what we're going through is, you know, this is what it's all about. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Sam and Tori. It's been a lot of fun. We're such a good resource of oh, information. Yeah. So we're thank lucky you. to have you. Speaking of which, where can thank everybody you, find you? you? Uh, all the platforms, all the things. All, 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 all the stuff. It's yeah. my name. I know you'll drop it in the show notes mm -hmm. and put it up on, on Insta because spelling my name is so fun. <laughs> um, I love that for you. But it's, yeah, if it, I know. It's the official Joelle trauma therapy. Um, you can you can find me on on IG. We're revamping our TikTok, so um, yes, I'm gonna try and go. That's a whole nother. We could have a whole nother podcast on <laughs> totally. my like refusal to do TikTok videos and my team like getting ready to you know throw things at me. Um, it's the new way. So yeah, it's new way. It's the new we love it. We're embracing you know these I things just, and moving forward. We're doing it. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, I just figured out be real. I can manage that with my daughter and that's about it. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I heard about that on TikTok and I was confused by it. I was like, that's another, I can't, I don't have enough space for another much. thing. Yeah, yeah. 
I know it's the most unflattering pictures ever. Um, but yeah, like get get connected. Um, we we always have special gifts for listeners. So um, if your listeners DM us or you know drop us a note or comment, we have a great seven day um, downloadable free journal that we love awesome. to give. We've got some new products coming out. I've got a got a self help and self wellness uh, twenty twenty three calendar coming out. Um, a trauma journal coming out next year. So. So um, it's my name. You definitely need to promote that find on me. TikTok. Yeah, that's definitely 100%. That's your audience. <laughs> I know. I've got to. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, when you all figure it out, you'll let me know how to do it. And then. <laughs> it takes me like three hours to make one TikTok. I get frustrated. <laughs> <sighs> me too. Thank you Thank so, you so much, much for coming. We'll link all that in our show notes too. Thank you so much. Thanks again for having me. It's been a pleasure. Definitely a heavy and personal episode, especially for Tori today, but so glad that these are things that we're able to talk about. Yeah. And I think this is something, you know, I've said uh, quite a few times, but it is important to talk about and to try and, you know, not only help provide resources, but relatability, right? Like I know a lot of you here listening are potentially going through something as well. You're not alone in that. Um, This is something that I think to some form or capacity, we all are struggling with something, whether personally or within our families. So we just want to send out some love to you guys, um, as especially as we're going into the holiday season. And thank you so much, you guys, as always, for being here with us. Make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all the goodies linked there in our bio. And thank you for all your reviews. Just make sure if you do one on Apple Podcasts, you drop your IG handle so we can send you all our free stickers and goodies. It's just a thank you for giving us your rating and feedback. And if you can click those five stars on Spotify, we appreciate that as well. Yeah. And if you just scroll down, you guys, if you click those five stars, that means the world to us. Even if, you know, if you just have a minute and this particular episode brought you some value, click those five stars for us. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And stay tuned. We have a fun little um, Black Friday episode. We do. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. And we'll see you on Friday. And don't eat dry turkey. (laughs) You're welcome. Bye. Bye.